Thirty spokes share the hub of a wheel, yet it is its center that makes it useful. You can mold clay into a vessel, yet it is its emptiness that makes it useful. Cut doors and windows from the walls of a house, but the ultimate use of the house will depend on that part where nothing exists. Therefore, something is shaped into what is, but its usefulness comes from what is not. Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching. Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm Raquel S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. A story is a type of conversation with the reader. If you don't leave room for the reader to speak, you're a terrible conversationalist. This room, this essential emptiness, is called negative space. In this episode, we will discuss why the words you don't write are just as important as the words you do write. With us is M.K. Anderson, also known as Qualia Redux online. Thanks for coming on the show. Hello, very nice to meet you. Thank you. So why don't we start by talking about what we mean by negative space, maybe in visual media and then in fiction? Sure. All right. So in visual media, you have your subject, the main thing that you're that you're doing a picture of, like maybe it's a person or let's say it's a vase. The space around the main subject that isn't it like the stuff that's not the vase. This is your negative space and all of this stuff affects how you see the main thing, the vase or the human figure in that case. Right. So in fiction, negative space is stuff that's not the topic. That's not the main thing. And a lot of the time it's, something you don't write. It's Maybe it's backstory that you don't explain. Maybe it's a quiet moment where nothing's happening. People are just vibing. It's who your protagonist isn't. All of this stuff is just as important to a story as what your story is. What your story isn't is just as important as what your story is because your story can't be all of those things. So let's look at maybe some examples of negative space in fiction or works of fiction where something remains unsaid. The turn of the screw. Hi, Kitty. Calm down. <laughs> Makes extensive use of silence and emptiness and negative space. There's so much that's not expressed. There's so much that we don't know. There's so much that's never explained, and it makes the story so much more effective and haunting. How, how about you? What are some stories or novels with negative space, with emptiness used really effectively? Uh, I, I really enjoy Kafka. Kafka oh, is yeah. so, so good at using um, negative space. And he's got such a sense of humor. Like it's almost essential to his dry sense of humor, like what he's not saying he likes using ambiguity. I think you gave the example of the metamorphosis at one point, like um, the fact that we're never told why he's turned into a monstrous Roman. In fact, that the German doesn't even have bug. People have to assume bug. It says monstrous vermin. Right. And so we're kind of left to think about what kind of vermin he is. There's indications that it's probably an insect, but Stuff like that is is so good. Right, right. 
Let's see. Well, this is a little bit more of a pulp genre example, but a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's various monsters. Yes. We, they're never described. We don't really see them. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it so much stronger. Like when people try to depict Cthulhu visually, it's it's not scary at all. It's just a big squid guy. It's like, oh, okay, just a squid guy. There's nothing <laughs> frightening about it. What's what's the one where he's slowly turning into like a deep one? Like there's that one and and we're not quite sure what he's turning into, but he's enjoying it. Like that one is so affecting. Oh gosh, I'm not sure I remember that one. It's not the shadow over Innsmouth, is it? I think. In the I end, think that's the one. Implied. Yeah, I think it is that one. Yeah, yeah. He's he's slowly turning and like reverting to his his, I think on his mother's side, into whatever she was, and what we're not told is is almost scarier than being told. And then he turned into like a squid or something like that. And that now he's a fish. Be scary. Yes. Right. Can you imagine if 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 Lovecraft like told us and then he was a fish. Yeah. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh gosh. Um let's see, a, a little bit more of a humorous, lighthearted example. Calvin and Hobbes keeps referring over and over again to something called the noodle incident. Something that got Calvin in huge trouble when he was a kid. <laughs> and it's never explained what the noodle incident was. But it just hangs over him, and it's constantly brought up. No one, no one knows exactly what happened. But it was obviously very severe. Let's see, Miyazaki movies. Mm. Miyazaki movies have a lot of. Um, some of it is is just because they've got alternate story beats in Japanese fiction than they do here. But there right. is a lot of tension that's maintained by focusing on daily details instead of the plot right so much and it sorry that's the sound of my cat being ridiculous <laughs> there are these these really great little quiet moments too even when in a lot of more his more action heavy stories where someone's just like vibing Someone's just like eating some noodles or you, you take a little quiet moment and watch some fish kind of swim around in a pond. It's not important to the plot. Doesn't doesn't advance the story at all. And it's great. You just get like a nice little breather and it sets yeah. this wonderful sense of rhythm. Yeah. One of my favorites is I think in Spirited Away when she's on the train, if you remember that. Yeah. And she's uh, she doesn't we don't know where she's going and we don't know how she's going to get back. And there, she's just vibing with no face. She's just sitting there. And we're looking at people. We're people watching with her. And they spend a good minute or two. And it's beautiful. Absolutely. Let's see. Oh, the left hand of darkness. There are long, long stretches of just silence. See, where, who wrote uh, that? Because I've, I've not. Oh, I've Ursula not Le Guin. I love oh, it. Oh, I need to read her. I need to read more from her. It's great. Yeah, but there are these long passages where Genli, I, and Estraven are just traveling across these massive stretches of snow, and like that's it. That's all that is happening. They're just pus pushing a sledge together, and there's one sequence where it's like snowing so bad that it's like complete whiteout to the point where you can't tell the sky from the ground anymore. That's that sounds great. <laughs> and that just kind of happens, and then they just gotta like put a tent and take a nap until that. That that's over and that's it, and it's beautiful. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, an example in nature, I guess you could say, is the crescent moon. Like the moon's kind of at its most sort of iconic and memorable and interesting shape when it's mostly gone, when most of it's in shadow. Yeah. Hello, Kitty. <laughs> Hi, Kitty. Hi, Henny. Henny wants to be in this episode. She's being a baby. Kitty's not letting us have any negative space. Nuh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, there's negative space in my belly. Fill it with treats. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> why in a narrative is... Henny, calm down. Is negative space so important? Well, I... 
I think it's important to have some ambiguity sometimes and not that like I'm, I'm really fond of an ending where there are multiple interpretations when I write and it's not necessarily that there's a right or a wrong one. It's that there are multiple ones and you're allowed to, you don't really, if, if you're given sometimes a whole story where there's a full resolution, sometimes you don't think about it later. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, well, one of those really famous stories we all, all had to read in school was the lady or the tiger, which very deliberately didn't have an ending. We wouldn't talk about it if he just said like, oh yeah, he got eaten by a tiger at the end. No one would give a shit right. about the story, but he wrote it specifically so that he does not, he he sets up like, here's why it might be a lady. Here's why it might be a tiger. What do you think it was? I don't know. What do you think <laughs> audience? Question mark. And that's it. And it I, is I a really compelling that- way to finish the story. Absolutely. And I think that that especially horror works really well with an ambiguous ending. Yeah. There's just nothing scarier in fiction. And and I'm a big fan of, of if you're going to write something, you have to take full advantage of the medium. Like film, what's on screen is, is pretty much what's on screen. But yeah. in writing, the medium allows you to be ambiguous. So why not use it? Absolutely. Yeah, that kind of ambiguity is just so much harder to pull off in a movie. I, I mean, you can, like the ending of the American Psycho movie, it's very much ambiguous. Like, wait, did he actually kill uh-huh. anyone? Doesn't matter. But that's still really tough to pull off in a movie. It like is. books books are so much more internal and invisible. And we do talk about this in our other episode called Why Books Aren't Movies. And <laughs> And it's, I think, foolish not to take advantage of this amazing strength that this medium uniquely has. Absolutely. Subtext, of course. Like, we, we're, again, taking full advantage of the medium, wordplay, being able to use understatement, implication, subtext is really important. Just using every tool in your toolbox. Right, right. And it's also important when you're leaving emptiness, when you're offering negative space, you're kind of leaving a lot more room for the reader, for mm-hmm. for the reader to bring their own imagination, their own experiences, and their own perspective. And when you leave this room for the reader and they feel comfortable putting themselves into the work, it's like they end up connecting to it in a way that's much more powerful and much closer, and it it almost becomes like a part of themselves. Right. And you can't do that if there's no room for them. Yeah, and it, it sometimes it can be really didactic. Yeah. If If we don't. Like, sometimes there's like a fear there that if we don't tell people what to think that they won't think the right thing uh which is like how patronizing can that be sometimes right and i can kind of get it the uh, i can kind of understand it a little bit when it's like i mean in in the age of social media where there are so many people who want to take one line out of context and use it to morally condemn Mm -hmm. you but those people fucking suck and you're never going to please them you can't Absolutely. write for them. Do not write for these people. Those people don't fucking read anyway. They're don't. not your audience. Read for people who like to read. Who Was it Lincoln Michael? Somebody on Twitter just said, stop trying to write for your, stop trying to write to protect your worst reader and instead write to please and excite your best reader. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's something to be said about being responsible with what you write, but like, you can't, you can't wrap everything you do in bubble wrap. Yeah. You can't knock off all your corners. And, Especially and when you're writing sure for adults. Safe. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like maybe what's appropriate for children is appropriate for children. But at a certain point, we have to grow up and we have to trust that the other person in the conversation isn't an asshole. Right. 
And if they are, why do you want to make them happy anyway? You know, don't shrink yourself to make a really shit person happy because, God, that's terrible. Yeah. Right. I, I think that as, you know, I'm non-binary and I know that you're you're Puerto Rican and both of us have, as minorities, we have people looking sometimes to interpret us in the pers- worst possible light absolutely the worst and i think that corporations especially fall for it sometimes Mm. like they don't want to take the risk of somebody maybe some saying something that could possibly be taken in the wrong way by by somebody who means us poorly and it really hurts i've talked about this with other queer writers sometimes people want us to be like children's writers for adults because of yeah. that yeah or, or to be all things for all people that's something i've seen a lot as a leveled as a criticism against queer writers writing queer stories like well that's not what it was like for me it's like sorry i yeah i you you <laughs> can't write a universal non-binary story or whatever because people are gonna have different experiences about it you, you can't possibly do that yeah, like you can't. Yeah, it's a character. It's not an avatar for for you and or or all people. It's, it's it's a story. It can't be for everybody. Right, and it can't be about everybody. It's not like a faceless, silent first person shooter protagonist. It's yeah. <laughs> this is a character. <laughs> Although, please make a non-binary first person shooter protagonist. That would be very funny. That would be nice. Yeah. And just as a practical thing, over-explaining, if you're writing speculative fiction, over-explaining something, especially something that's mystical or supernatural, ends up making it duller. And there's an impulse to try to explain stuff to help it, to help it make sense. But to me, it ends up making less sense. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nobody liked the midichlorians. Nobody Nobody. liked those in Star Wars when they're like, oh, we need to explain what the force is. Like, no, you you didn't need to do that. It was fine. It was fine when it was this weird, ambiguous thing that was never explained. That was cool. It was mystical. No no one needed midichlorians. No one was happy about this. (laughs) I I really, lately, specfic um, with the whole world building thing, like that's been an emphasis, I think, in the last couple of years. I think it's been... I'm hoping the pendulum swings the other way because God, yeah. I think I think that sometimes it's another example of, of writing for people who want to read Wikipedia <laughs> instead of a story. Right. Occasionally I don't want to like talk smack about anybody, but like God, like you can't stop. Sometimes I, I feel like there's like this demand, well, build out the world building, build out the world building, build mm-hmm. out the world building. And then this isn't moving. I hate it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there is a demand too for absurdly long fantasy novels, like a second world mm-hmm. fantasy novel. People just expect it to be 500 pages. I'm reminded of that line from The Good Place where, what is it? Michael is talking about frozen yogurt compared to ice cream. And he's like, there's something so human about taking something you love and ruining it slightly so that you can have more of it correct (laughs) like that's kind of what you're doing there you're you're ruining it in order to make it more but like don't 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 do that (laughs) please please don't like did when, when when we found out that Cruella's mom was knocked off a cliff by some Dalmatians like no no one enjoyed this No, it, it was a, no one enjoyed having this space filled in. No one. <laughs> that's that's another thing lately. Villains, villains. Yeah. Nobody needs to know that the Grinch had a sad childhood. No. Nobody wants this. No. Like the, there's villains, especially. <laughs> I think benefit from a shallow development a little bit. There's this impulse now to be like, well, we're all postmodern now mm-hmm. and we need to interrogate why it is that people became the way they are. And it's not very interesting to just read about an asshole. And yes, it is. It's a yeah. lot of fun to read about somebody who's just enjoying being a piece of shit. 
Yeah, like and Cruella was a great exist. villain. We People liked yes. Cruella when she was just a bitch. It was cool. She is a terrible yeah. rich lady in the fashion world. Of course she's cruel and to animals. Have you ever met a terrible witch lady who rich lady who loves fashion? They're all horrible. They're very they're cruel horrible. people. That's just what they're like, for real. And like, who wants Cruella de Vil Deville to be 22 and cute? She's this, she's 70 something and, and, you know, like a broom and 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 that's fun that she's having a lot of fun with that and and you know her giant coat and all that and then you make her like emma what's your face and it's like what D do these people even watch the movie that they're yeah. trying to adapt <laughs> right part of me understands the impulse because a negative space and unanswered question is so tantalizing we always mm -hmm. want to fill it, but then it's never as satisfying after it's filled. It's like you see new fallen snow, so you want to be the first person to put your footprint in it, and then it's never quite as nice. And that's kind it's of what true. happens when you keep doing that. It's like, oh, you've taken the new fallen snow and you've stepped all over it. Like, okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks. That was great. <laughs> yeah, just what we wanted. And I think yeah. I think a couple of the the examples we've come up with have been like midichlorians that comes from trying to explain why Anakin Skywalker is is so special and we right. don't need it. Who cares? He just fucking is. Maybe he was born under Mercury rising or some shit. Who knows? <laughs> give a give a vague a vague mystical explanation is fine. He's a wizard. You don't need a science explanation for wizardry. You don't right. need this. <laughs> Yeah, it, a wizard did it is yeah. is sometimes the best possible. Um, there's the MST3K mantra. It's just um, a show. Just relax. Called. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of that. But but I, I do think in a lot of contemporary fiction and film and pop culture, there is this fear of negative space. There's a there's the wrong headed need to control everything to avoid misinterpretation. And part of that is, I think, fear of like some backlash. But I think there is also this fear or, I guess, mistaken idea that the job of the writer is to perfectly put the movie that's in your head in your reader's head. And you mm -hmm. should not do that because books are not movies. You are not the director of a movie who has total control over everything in the movie. You're not Stanley Kubrick making somebody walk across a room 37 times until they go insane. Like if, if you do have to think of it in terms of movie, think of it as like your reader is your director, not you. Mm -hmm. The you, you are the lowly script writer. That's it. You're the lowest in the hierarchy, basically of the creative hierarchy in our, you're barely above it, the craft services table guy who brings <laughs> people bagels. The reader is the director. Let, let the reader do this stuff. And so much of like, bad acting in prose, you know, where you have to spell out every gesture, every movement the characters are making. This is you trying to be the director and saying, no, he moves like this. And she says it like that. And she bites her lip this way and smooths her skirt that way. And it's like, no, just no, 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 stop it. <laughs> if, if you want an example of what it looks like when it's done really badly, interview with a vampire. I oh, think no. it's either interview with a vampire <laughs> or the vampire Lestat. And she spends... Anne Rice spends three pages saying, my name is Lestat. I'm blonde, but my eyes and my eyes are blue, but they're gray when, no, they're gray, but they're blue in certain, when, when we're under the sky and oh, they're no. green when they're, and it goes on and on and on just trying. And it speaks to like a writer who is, who's actually, she's very famously like this, wants to control exactly what you see exactly how everything is interpreted and it's just even though she's very successful as a writer monetarily as a piece of craft it's just not good <laughs> <sighs> yeah I, I i do think part of that is i think isn't she kind of in love with the character listat like she's in love it's, with it's him. her husband he is yes. he's her husband foo or whatever and well, it's 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 also based on literally her husband. She just oh, writes. Oh wow! Yes, 
<laughs> right, so she wants right. me to her husband. And she was so mad when it was Tom Cruise cast because he looks <laughs> nothing like her husband. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember, too, she got into a big war with, like, a fried chicken restaurant owner over this. Because, like, what? Because he, like, she put, you know, Lestat's death in this, this like, empty parking lot outside of a of a of a shutdown used car lot or whatever she had him dying there and that's that that was like based on a real place well this real place some dude who owned a fried chicken restaurant bought it up and opened up a restaurant there and she was really angry at it because it was just like it was this restaurant is tacky and distasteful and unworthy of Lestat's final resting place like and she's such a poster she's such a poster that she took out a full page ad in the local newspaper denouncing the chicken restaurant <laughs> Like she couldn't just post this on her blog or whatever. Maybe this was pre-blog days. And then the owner <laughs> retaliated by taking out his own ad in the newspaper saying, well, if this is Lestat's final resting place, I guess his body's still there. I have your vampire and I'm keeping him. <laughs> it just got bananas. It was great. She's 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 also like... I I know, I, I, I fucking about, love her. Yeah. I I oh, she's <laughs> just I, I, her her true art is posting and not writing, and she's the greatest of all time. She was the woman who like wrote these like thousand word rebuttals to negative Amazon reviews. Mm-hmm. She's amazing, and she she almost single handedly shut down fandom oh. for the crime of interpreting her work, Queen. Which you know we have. Yeah, we have mixed feelings about fandom, but it's definitely like she 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 could have drowned it in a bathtub years ago, and she almost did. She she sued fan sites. <sighs> Magic, God, <laughs> God bless you, Queen. <laughs> I love her. I I cannot stand all of her books, but all of her posts are just fucking great. She's, yeah, she's a personality. She's amazing. Oh, God. I hope she gets mad at me someday. That would be so cool. I should yes, start a beef. Please step on me, rice. Queen. God, yes. God, I want like thousand word fucking denunciations of me or something. That would that would mean like I've truly made it. I don't need. Oh. Absolutely. She's the best. But sorry, getting off topic. Um, <laughs> speaking of fandom, I, there there is, I think, this fanish impulse, which is really encouraged by capitalism and merchandising to mm-hmm. fill in all the negative spaces, you know, collect them all, jam in more sequels and prequels and spinoffs and tie in toys, fill every space of the Wikipedia and answer mm-hmm. every question. And, and like, Ugh. it's like each man kills the like thing they're... he loves <laughs> yeah how many things would be legendary if somebody just stopped if yeah. somebody just stopped when it was good like St- star wars like i love star wars and i have in my past i've written star wars fan fiction so i know that <laughs> impulse and but it's like how legendary would star wars have been if they had just stopped now maybe the next generation wouldn't have heard about it as much but the need to to fix things and remove ambiguity and add additional storylines and make it so that there's an entire entry on death sticks which is a drug based on cigarettes that were just was just added at one point as sort of george lucas's don't smoke kids thing like right did we need that right like the fact that he started off on episode four was so interesting. Like, oh, there's all this stuff that happened before it. And it left you with this wonderful, this wonderful empty space to imagine what these little mentioned things. Oh, what were the Clone Wars? What were that? Well, now there's a whole show about the Clone Wars. And it's just, it, it's never as cool as the thing that your kid brain kind of conjures up. It makes it so much smaller. The fact that everybody is related it makes the universe much smaller right and the fact than, that they keep going back to the same like eight planets 
Mm-hmm. Oh, we're back in Tatooine. Like, there's a whole ass galaxy. You could go someplace cooler than Tatooine. No, okay. Go to fucking Tatooine again, I guess. Just keep going back to fucking Tatooine. Ugh. But <laughs> there's also tied to fandom this terrible nitpicky style of criticism. I don't know if you could even call it criticism that teaches people that everything. It calls everything a plot hole when the writers don't explain every goddamn thing. Yeah, it's the cinema sinsing of It's so of bad. It's so bad. You didn't explain every single thing. It's a plot. No, it's not a plot hole. It's just I, I just trusted the audience to guess. Just, or it was like it's fine. fuzzy. It was like, you know how a picture at the edge is just kind of fuzzed out and there's something in focus? Like a little bit of inconsistency, a little bit of vague vagueness can be like, don't look over here. Look at what I'm painting sharply. And sometimes people are like, well, that's a flaw. And it's not really a flaw. It's just what's in focus. Right. And it's fine. It's it's, it's better. You, you get the sense these days that... You forget that sense when you're watching a movie and, and somebody over explains something and you're like, oh, God, this is to avoid the whole getting the ding. That's a plot hole thing, isn't it? This whole mm-hmm. annoying line is just there to silence the, um, but what happened to his head? Like, who cares? Who fucking cares? Imagine it. I don't know. Right. Draw some fan art about it. Who fucking gives a shit? Let it go. <laughs> Stop Absolutely. filling in every space. Stop doing it. mentioned and this isn't on the outline i apologize if i'm springing this on you you've mentioned that you like using negative space in your own work could you talk about that a little bit sure i've had a couple of published stories that use it pretty extensively i'd say there's there's one called grizzly about a little girl who is ambiguously a bear nice like she may or may not be a bear and I have her sort of swimming out, like spoilers, it sort of ends with her swimming out to her grandparents have an island in Canada where they have a little cabin and she's just obsessed with bears and she ends up swimming out after the events of the story to an island across the way where she sees some bears and I just stop there. Oh, nice. And it, you know, it's sort of a horror story and I just, I don't tell you what happens in part because I think it's pretty obvious what happens or doesn't happen. And you don't need to keep, one of the principles I use is when you pretty much know what's going to happen, when everything right. that's happened it is obvious, you, you can just stop there. You can just cut off the end there. And it, it's, it's part of being economical. Mm. And I I have another story which just starts with a character who may be mentally ill but is seeking validation in men, Mm. and she's never given a name. Every man man she's sort of with throughout the story gets a name. She never gets a name. Mm. And it's sort of like, I guess I'm telling you what it means here, but by not giving her a name, I wanted to give some sense that she didn't have much of an identity. Oh, yeah. And by like removing the name there, I could show it instead of tell it, I suppose. But I, I showed it with this negative space instead of something where I'm just hitting you over the head with, and she didn't have much of an identity. Right. Looking back in some of my work, my first published shorts or novelette, which got pretty good reception my english name it's about 
Well, the central character is kind of hard to describe because he doesn't know what he is. He's a mm-hmm. sort of a shapeshifter. I, I kind of think of him as like a counterfeit human being, but he doesn't have any explanation for what he is and why he exists. He doesn't know if he's like something supernatural or or scientific or what. He's found no explanation. All he knows is that he has to keep like changing identities every few years because the old one wears out and and mm-hmm. th- that's it. And he never finds out what it is. He, he never knows. He, the reader never knows. And people, mm-hmm. most people really enjoyed the story. But something I noticed that was interesting is that when people were describing it, they weren't comfortable just calling him like an entity or a creature. They had to name what he was. It was usually an alien. People usually decided mm. he was an alien. I never said he was an alien. I never say, oh yeah, I'm from space or whatever. I I, I don't give an, any explanation, but people, even people who really liked the story the way it was, felt like they needed to give it some kind of a name. That's really interesting, and I wonder why they did that. Just You think they're uncomfortable with the ambiguity? I, I guess, or or it's like you need to find a word for it. But I, I just found that so interesting that such a common explanation was alien, even though I never call him an alien. And there's, I don't think there's anything to imply that he's from like another planet or anything. He's just there mm-hmm. and he's been there for a long time. And that's it. That's cool. Probably because I don't really get into like the supernatural or something. So they're thinking, well, there's... There's nothing mentioned about supernatural, so it can't be like wizard shit. Uh, (laughs) What's a science thing? Alien. Okay. Right. Like, could be a mutant. You don't know. He could be a mutant. He could be, like, I, 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 the thing that comes to mind is Mothman, but Mothman's not really a shape shifter, but he could be a Mothman. (laughs) I don't know. He could be a caked up Mothman, like that famous statue of the Mothman who does a lot of squats. I That's don't right. know. I don't know why the sculptor decided that Mothman needed a giant shapely ass, but I I respect his interpretation. <laughs> I I want that sculptor to make more cryptid sculptures of just like cryptids with enormous asses, like a really thick Bigfoot and like a hot chupacabra or something. I just want a statue of this in every major American city. It'd be really cool. Shout out to the monster fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> they deserve more monuments. They really Absolutely. Do. Tear down every conservative monument and replace it with like a hot cryptid. Yeah, like a Dracula with a cute ass. Yeah, exactly. A sexy Jersey devil. <laughs> a, a hot Wendigo, you know. That's right. <laughs> There is one story about a a woman who might be a time traveler or she might Mm. just be mentally ill and traumatized and having convinced herself that she's a time traveler because the reality of her past is too depressing and she can't emotionally face what actually happened to her. Mm -hmm. And I, I take very special care not to say one or the other. Right. Granted, the fact that it it appeared in a sci-fi magazine, people usually interpret like, yeah, she's a time traveler. So Yeah. (laughs) Like, it could be a psychological horror story and not a sci-fi story. You don't know. You don't know. Maybe she's just crazy. It's it's so interesting how people take, like, context cues like that. Right. When I I think that genre is is so much more... it, It really is sort of a box you put stories into, which... Whether or not they fit there, it, it, it doesn't really uh, always apply. Right. The magazine of fancy and science fiction does run horror stories and psychological st- horror stories. So I thought, well, it could be that too. But like the fact that it's in a FSF, people are like, time travel. Nope, it's time travel. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, I guess so. But yeah, I, 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 I love leaving that sense of ambiguity a sense where like i'm not going to tell you how to feel at the end of this story like one of my favorite things is doing a live reading of one of my stories and it's over and people go like 
<laughs> that that sound people make when they've enjoyed it, but they're not really sure. Like, I liked this, but I don't. Was that happy? Was that sad? I don't. Mm-hmm. The fuck just happened? Like that. That's my favorite. That's my favorite response. <laughs> and whenever I can write a story that does that, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so thrilled because it just leaves people. We're so used to having everything kind of told for us. And this is what happened. This is the ending. This is what it means. So being able to give people an experience that unmoors them is a really wonderful and satisfying feeling. Yeah. And insofar, like I write lit fic and I've written a couple of novels, neither of which are published. But like, I think it's almost a core feature of literary fiction. Yeah. That, you know, you have a plot usually not always in lit fic, but you know, you have the want versus need. And I think one of those, the ending, like there was the resolution has to be a little bit ambiguous. Yeah. Um, And I think that's almost a feature of lit fic for me. Yeah, definitely. Is you, you resolve one, but you don't quite resolve the other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. Don't be afraid of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I want spectric writers to not be afraid of that either, because it can be incredibly satisfying and wonderful and 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 memorable to to do that. You got to turn off your fandom brain when you write. You really, you you do. I'm sorry. It's it's. I mean, God bless fandom. Like I say, I've I've written fan fiction, but it, you just have to put a little bit more like you almost when you write for fans you almost try and please them completely like you're trying to give everybody like an ice cream sundae where it's everything they could possibly want and sometimes in when you're not writing fanfic you want to give people a little bit of what they need as well like what they don't know they need and, right. and people, I think, do need some ambiguity. They do need some, some they need their vegetables. <laughs> yeah, you need your, your, your spinach or your broccoli or whatever. Yeah. Not to say that, that it's less fun. It's just there's, there's writing that nourishes you and that makes you think. And sometimes getting everything that you want really gets in the way of that. Right. And a lot of time, I mean being unsettled and unmoored emotionally like there there's something incredibly important to that i think for people's well-being to sometimes be kind of put into that space in a way that's like safe you know because reading a story for the most part isn't gonna hurt you for for the most part you know a short story that you read that makes you feel weird at the end like that's that's a way you can get that weird, I don't know how to feel about this feeling vicariously without actually having to go through anything really bad or upsetting or, or strange in real life. So it's, it's safe and like, mm-hmm. at, at least in Zen, like, isn't, isn't that a way to sort of push yourself toward enlightenment? Like, isn't that kind of the purpose of those weird questions? Like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Like, it's a question without an answer because the point isn't to answer it, but to put your brain in this weird, to sit with it and like put your brain in a weird space that empties it out of your usual shit. Mm -hmm. And, And that kind of lets enlightenment sneak in. Which brings us back to our little opening monologue to talk a little bit about Taoism. To sum up, Taoist philosophy is beyond me. I I am not a Taoist, and maybe trying to do it is missing the point completely. But I think there's a valuable lesson from it, and and that's the lesson of the wheel. Right? Like, you have a wheel. It's got the, the outside, the round part, and you got the spokes that lead to the space. And at the center of it, it, there's this empty space. And that's what makes it useful. That is where you put the axle through. That's what lets you attach it to a cart. And that's what makes it turn. And we're used to thinking of emptiness as a bad thing, like holes are dark and scary and bad, but they're not. And that emptiness is essential. If your house has no empty spaces in it, if there's no empty space on your floor, then you're you're a hoarder. You're, you're on that TV show about the hoarders and you You've got, you've probably got some cat skeletons in there. Your home's fucking unlivable. 
The center of our galaxy is a black hole. And that's fine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The All center the, the... of our galaxy is a massive black hole. And that's what keeps we, it to And we've got all the space between us and the sun, which I think we'd prefer to have. Right. <laughs> right. Like in, in, in life, we're always kind of trying to fill the hole with something, whatever the hole is. And a lot of the time we kind of fill it with bad decisions, <laughs> really bad relationships or substances or just shit that's a really bad idea. And I, I know there is a bunch of different philosophies of how what should you do with this hole? Like some religions teach you, well, you should fill that hole with religion or some philosophy will fill it with this, fill it with that. And what Taoist philosophy says to my understanding is don't try to fill the hole. You can let it be a hole. It's okay for there to be a hole. It's fine. Let it be. Just, just enjoy the hole. It's cool. And, and I, and I feel like that's an incredibly valuable lesson for writing and for storytelling, which is leave a hole for, your audience to put themselves in and remember that a story like a wheel revolves around an emptiness a, 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 like an open space right it's, it's a conversation and people have to interpret it however they're going to interpret it right and that's what's special about it I think there's an attitude toward writing now where we're trying to connect to everybody by representing them exactly on the page. And I don't think that's possible to do, to, to connect with everybody by trying to represent them exactly on the page. I, I feel like it makes a little more sense instead of trying to fill the page with something that's exactly like them. It's like, no, just leave an empty space in there and they'll find their way into it and connect to it that way. Mm -hmm. And and that's a wonderful experience. And it's part of the conversation between the writer and the reader is the writer needs to leave some quiet, empty, negative space for the reader to, to get in a few words. Don't be afraid of that. Absolutely. <laughs> like it, you come back, like there's this buzzword in publishing, relatable. They want somebody who's relatable. And sometimes the effort to make every character a 20-something publicist from New York, you know, how relatable, uh, <laughs> can have like this opposite effect because not everybody's like that. But if you just have somebody people watch on a train, that's something we all do. Right. Um, it's It's those sorts of gestures. It's not... It's not details of who somebody is and, and like descriptions of their gray eyes that are blue sometimes and violet sometimes. It's like that's <laughs> it's not what's relatable. It's it's what they do that's that and, and just these gestures that everybody does, like sort of broadly suggested. That's where people pour themselves into a story as they read it. Right. And a, a character doesn't have to be exactly like you for you to relate to them. A, a friend of mine, she's a Chinese-American. Her parents immigrated directly from China. She loves The Great Gatsby because of how much of her own family's experience she sees in there. Because it's like, you know, oh. reinventing yourself, changing your name, and working your ass off to make it in a society that's never going to 100% see you as one of them. That's cool that like, she sees herself in that. That I, I, I would. That's really cool. Yeah, and it's such a short novel, and it would not have worked so well if if the author didn't leave enough space for you, for her to put that. If it was just, no, this is about social class. That's what this is about. Mm -hmm. This is only about social class. Do not interpret it any other way. <laughs> and here, and and by the way, before before he became the Great Gatsby, you know, he was this other person. Here's exactly who he was. We don't really know who he was at all before he became Jay Gatsby. We don't really we all the only glimpses of him we see are like a a, a journal where he was recording the fitness that he did and and the mm. self-improvement exercises he was doing to make himself Jay Gatsby and 
that emptiness is incredibly heartbreaking, but so compelling too, because there was this whole other person and we don't really know who it was and we're never going to know because that's kind of the point. Yeah. And his motivations and not everything that all of his physical attributes are, are not what make him him. Self. The closest thing to this I can think of in terms of valuing emptiness in Western philosophy is Western philosophy does value emptiness, but only when referring to it as purity. Mm, yeah. Like that's how, that's the way we value it. I find it interesting how Western culture sees emptiness as all, it's always a very bad, scary thing. The word describing a person as empty is definitely not a compliment. No. But like... <laughs> pure is and it's like well that's not how is that really different you know yeah somebody you know a child hasn't done a whole hell of a lot but we tend to associate little children with purity right and it's like i mean it's kind of another sort of emptiness in a way and we value it so desperately and it's so funny to me how we obsess over purity but oh emptiness is bad we can't have that (laughs) like what do you think fucking purity is point <laughs> so any other things to say about negative space and leaving room for your reader <laughs> i think i'm out of things to say it's been great great well thanks a bunch for coming on yeah no thank you for having me before you go uh where can our listeners find and support your work so i am on Qualia Redux, no spaces, no underlines or anything, on Twitter and on YouTube. I do video essays, and I've written a couple of short stories under the pen name M.K. Anderson, and you can find one of them, I think, in Craft Magazine. I mentioned one of them here, so maybe we could link to that or something. Yeah, we will include links in the episode description. So you should check out Qualia's work and definitely check out, check out their videos. They're awesome. Oh, thank you. You have a bunch of really great videos. There was one on Pathologic 2. Yeah, that one's, that, that's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite. Speaking of empty space, (laughs) one of my favorite and, and a lot of room for ambiguity in there about what's going on. Yeah, and there was also the Oprah Din, too. You just did a video on them. Yes. Yes, and that has a huge amount of empty space in its, in its um, what do you call it, in its narrative. Like, I, I am a huge fan of that. So it right. was a pleasure to be on here to talk about it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening. That's all for this episode. If you like what you heard, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash right good and be sure to join us next time when we talk about the virtue of degenerate art until then (laughs) keep writing good this has been right good with raquel s benedict hosted by raquel s benedict and produced by matt keely for ks media llc edited by sid oosley theme song by surgery head this has been a kitty sneezes production for comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. Kittysneezes.com in color. <laughs>